a podcast of Grand View Christian Church's discipleship team. I'm your host, Kristen Mudrack, the discipleship team coordinator. Last season, we focused on discipleship, what it is, how we pursue it, and what it looks like for our pastors, elders, members, and college students. This season, we are looking at service in the Johnson City area through Grandview's own JC Serve and other ministries. Join us as we highlight each of these ministries and ask how we can best come alongside them to help them serve our community. Our episodes will focus on ministries that we help serve financially, prayerfully, and in physical service, all leading up to our multi-church event, Love JC, on September 25th. If you're interested in serving in any way for any of the ministries we highlight, don't hesitate to contact Nathan at grandviewchristian.org or follow the links in the episode description. Our hope is that you learn more about the ministries we support and others in our area, and you find new ways to pray for them and support them as they carry out their mission to serve JC. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking to Tim Baumgartner, who is part of and the founder of Interyear House here in Johnson City. Tim, thanks so much for being with me today. And can you tell me a little bit about Interyear, how it got started, and um, why you decided this was something that our community needed? Yeah, thanks. Um, so we started Interyear Fellowship about, uh, I guess we ju- we're just finishing up our third year. So right at three years ago. Um, and so for me, it's kind of the, it's all about vocation and about calling and purpose and how is God calling us to be in the world and, and how are we supposed to do that? And so um, I think initially for me, I really had a desire to, to teach and work with college age students. And I just took a really, really long path to get there. You know, I went to Atlanta Christian College or Point University and then Emmanuel and then went to New York. But then I kind of got sidetracked from an academic career and ended up working uh, in the South Bronx for World Vision and we came back to Johnson City in 2012, um, and I worked for Appalachia Service Project, one of our, one of Grandview's other ministry partners. And uh, I did that for five years. And during that time, I was working with college-age students who were kind of, for the summer, they were working, uh, doing managing construction projects and volunteers. But I worked with the, the year-long staff, and they, they had this big grant from Lilly, and it was all about uh, vocation and calling and purpose, and how can we kind of help them serve and get some experience, um, professional experience, but also how can you invest in them and help them discern their future direction? And that was really my first exposure to, to thinking about it in more of a formal structure. Um, and there are some things about that environment that made it challenging to really invest in these young adults. They really just wanted to get out there and work for the community. And I really wanted to spend more time on, on the faith and calling conversations. And so uh, at some point, I just kind of decided, if I'm going to do this, then I maybe I just need to do it my own way. And so uh, in the fall of 2017, I left ASP and kind of started this whole thing up. But it really kind of came out of a need of seeing people um, just finishing college and not really knowing what they wanted to do. And in some ways, college being kind of an extension of high school, I think, well, I'll figure that out when I get to the end. And then they don't have it figured out or they they don't have clarity or confidence in that step. And so really, uh, you know, inner year is about, about giving that, giving these young adults um, an opportunity to engage their faith uh, through service with an organization or a nonprofit, uh, but also living intentionally in a Christian community with some contemplative spiritual habits that are, I'm really passionate about, but then to look at big questions about life and calling uh, to help them explore their vocation and have some 
uh, clarity about that next step. As a college professor, I can tell you that what you're doing is very much needed. Um, and <laughs> Thanks for the affirmation. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have several students that I have sent your way over the years, and it, it is very much a place of need, um, not only in our community, but I think across the United States as a whole. Um, how many fellows do you typically have in a year and what does their daily life look like for the year that they, that you're with them? Well, we don't really have a typical, um, I wish we had more track history, but, uh, with just three years, we started with that, that first year we ended up with, with three fellows full time. And, uh, the second year we just had one fellow and that was challenging. And then COVID hit and, uh, we ended up with five for this last year. So this has been our biggest year this past year. And uh, Cora Weimer uh, has been one of our fellows from Grandview. So working at Grandview, but also growing up there. So that's been great to, to have her a part of the uh, part of our group. And we're still recruiting for this next year. That's going to be look, looks like another low number, kind of a delayed effect from COVID and as far as not being able to recruit and stuff. But we actually have capacity for eight. So we could take more, quite a few more fellows. Uh, it's just making that connection uh, to young adults who need a place to, to spend that year to figure some things out. So what do they do in the year that they're with you? What's, what's kind of the typical way that you go about placing them in the community mm -hmm. and then some of those intentional um, spiritual habits you were talking about? Yeah. Um, tell me about those. So we kind of have, we call them strands. There's four, four strands that, um, Kind of make it easy to talk about. The first one is the intentional Christian community side of things. So that's the physical house on uh, East Unica where they all live. And so we, we try to structure it morning prayer that I do with them every weekday and they do evening prayer together as a, as a fellow group. And then they have a kind of a family meal once a week. It's a time just to cook a meal together, sit down and talk about life and schedules and the content of the stuff that we're working on and teaching through. Um, and they have a covenant about how they will live together. Um, you know, manage, uh, resolve conflicts and work together with chores and that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's sort of the daily life, um, around the spiritual formation side of things. Uh, we try and get them on kind of the Christian calendar and thinking about what that looks like and the different, different rhythm and cycle to life. And, and so we do some, we take a few retreats throughout the year that kind of hit some of the highlights. Uh, we'll create a rule of life that they will write for themselves around a retreat that we do right before Advent. And then that kind of serves as some guidance for them for the year about how to kind of structure that. Um, and on Fridays, we have what we call our day of discernment. And so I meet with them every Friday and we sort of have our you know regular schedule where we'll do morning prayer and uh, lots of journaling, lots of time for writing and reflection. And we do some other contemplative practices like Lexio Divina or centering prayer or the examine prayer as ways just to kind of uh, focus inward a little bit uh, and kind of deal with our own brokenness a little bit so that we're better equipped to deal with it in the world. Um, but on those Fridays is when we look at um, those kind of big issues and we'll, every month we look at a different topic, whether that's hospitality or race and reconciliation and economic justice, uh, food justice issues, um, relationships. Uh, so we'll, uh, discernment, you know, what, what does it mean to live a life of discernment? Uh, so we hit some of those big topics. And so they have readings that they have to do and that kind of stuff. Um, but the, that fourth component is, is the service piece. And that's where they're placed in a, a nonprofit or a ministry here in town. 
uh, in Johnson City area where they get a chance to have a regular job. So they're working, you know, four days a week. So about 32 hours a week to, to see what it's like just to have a regular full-time job to get some professional experience, hopefully in a career field that they're interested in or just an opportunity for them to, to serve and to give back to the community in that way. Uh, and then I kind of help navigate maybe issues that might happen at work, um, but just to make it a good uh, kind of learning and meaningful work experience for them. So all those things kind of put together to give them some life skills and habits and some contemplative practices that will help serve them once they move on after the year is over. Um, where have you placed students in the past in Johnson City? I know uh, Cora's at Grandview um, mm -hmm. and uh, we've had a couple at uh, LXI um, downtown. Where else have you placed them? Uh, Appalachian Service Project. Uh, we had one the first year at uh, Appalachian Christian Camp, KPCC, and First Christian Church. And we worked with Coalition for Kids for a little bit. And uh, One Acre Cafe this year has been another um, another cool one. And then we had uh, Jeremiah School, a young lady that was uh, doing occupational therapy. She worked there for the year. That's awesome. Um, it sounds like there's a very broad range of students that you get for this program. Do you have any stories of students that are um, meaningful that you see this, this ministry really having made an impact in their lives? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Lily Crosby, one of our um, first year fellows, uh, you know, she super productive, just really go-getter and finished grad. She graduated college like a semester early and she's like, I don't know what to do. Like she started up a campus ministry while she was there and she just didn't have direction, but tons of energy and passion. Just not sure where to put it. And so kind of helped her narrow that down a little bit, find some direction, help her apply to grad schools, get prepped for that. She graduated from university of Tennessee with a communications major and and so the thing is, like, once their year of fellowship is over, it, it doesn't really end. Like, I still meet with them occasionally. They still call and we hang out and we talk and, um, you know, still the mentoring continues. And so it's, it's a, a longer term investment than just the one year. But um, Lily called and she said, you know, I've really been trying to develop, you know, in, in this season of life, a way to kind of slow down and be intentional about how I spend my time and my you know, my spiritual life and my private reflective life. How can I do that? And she was faced with trying to work really hard to finish school up on time, or does she need to maybe focus on these habits that she's been working really hard to cultivate? And so it was just kind of cool to hear her, you know, two years later, like, hey, I'm still doing this and this is important to me. And it's a part of who I am, not just something that I did for the time that I was at inner year. And so yeah, that really, awesome. for me, that meant a lot to me. Yeah. You mentioned that recruiting has been rather difficult this last year with COVID. Um, how do you typically recruit students and um, how do you see that changing in the future as you move forward? Yeah, usually I, I get out there uh, physically and I visit college campuses, um, campus ministries, uh, you know, reach out to campus ministry directors and, and just college students in the programs. So I usually go down to Georgia once or twice a year and try and recruit at my alma mater and a few other colleges and universities along the way. You know, just different campus fellowships around the country, um, gatherings of campus ministers. I mean, that's really the target. Um, but really, it's, it's those personal connections. Every person that has come to us has been through um, some kind of personal connection that either I made or somebody that knows me knows another young adult that 
could really use a program like this. And so without being able to be out there and open and talking to people and just, you know, just hanging out, having lunch with somebody or going for a coffee, and then it just comes up in conversation. None of us have really had much of that this last year. And so those kind of spur of the moment and spontaneous conversations haven't taken place. And so it's strange that that's been the effect for us this year, not being able to recruit. And so that makes it a little bit of a scramble to try and figure things out. Yeah, for sure. How is your ministry supported financially? I know that because you're one of Grandview's um, JC Surf partners, there's a little bit of finances there. What else do you do to try to subsidize, you know, the cost of the house and um, yeah. things like that? So uh, the house is huge. If you've not been there, it's four floors. It's like five and a half thousand square feet. Um, and we use the main two floors and we are fortunate enough to be able to rent out uh, some of those apartments. So McKinsey rents out the basement apartment. So uh, our city view, like most of the city view staff live at the, at the end of your house. And so uh, McKinsey's in the basement apartment. Um, Amber rents a studio apartment that's off the, on the first floor off the kitchen. Uh, so she has that space. And then some old college friends of ours, they live on the third floor and they've got a family of five. And so you know, that provides us, you know, regular sustained income to kind of, you know, it covers the mortgage for the house. Um, utilities are really expensive for that big place, but um, uh, it's a beautiful house. The fellows are, they, they raise some money. And so uh, once we they're accepted in the program, then they begin their fundraising. And so uh, it's $3,000 a year for them uh, to participate. And then uh, when we reach out to our partners, then the organizations actually pay us to, to place a fellow at their organization. And so it's an 11 month program. And so $11,000 a year for the partner to participate. And um, the fellows also receive, uh, in addition to housing, you know, we give them a 250 monthly stipend and $100 per person in kind of a shared grocery budget that they have to kind of work through and plan meals and that kind of stuff. And then the rest of it is just, uh, you know, monthly giving really. And uh, the unfortunate part for us is we launched this at the exact same time that we launched um, Unreachable Campaign at Grandview. So uh, that made it difficult, but yeah, um, yeah so we're, uh, heading into our fourth year now. That's awesome. Um, I, re I remember when you started interyear and I honestly didn't quite know what you were doing with it, but the more I saw you put it together and the more I saw what you were trying to do when you bought that house, <laughs> I was like, does he need this much room? <laughs> um, and yeah. you, you do for the number of students that you want there, as well as the ability to um, to rent out some of the spaces. Um, and I've been to inner year several times. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a yeah. beautiful place to live, um, for these fellows, as well as for the families and people that you rent to. Um, and I think it's, it's difficult to get to sometimes because of where it is. Yeah. Yeah. That parking lot in the back is, is, is big, but you know, if it's so many cars and, uh, the, the Jenny Lee parking lot across the street is helpful on weekends. Um, one of the things that we hope for the space is to be able to just to utilize it for yeah. people to use it more like a community center. And we were kind of building up to that, um, you know, last spring, I taught a, an Enneagram class and we had about 20 people in that that met on Sunday nights. And that was great. You know, everybody's filled in that whole living room, dining space. And uh, we had a great time and, uh, and then everything shut down and we kind of lost all that momentum. Uh, but now the, the Grandview College Age Group is meeting there on, on Sundays on occasion. And that's great to have that space. And we really just want to be able to, 
open it up for people to use it as a, like a community space for ministry, for co-working, whatever. And there are some times when, uh, you know, Andrew Mosby would come over and work or Brandon Waite would come over and, and spend some time working on a sermon. And, you know, I would be there working and just to utilize the space more. And, and I hope to offer more uh, like workshops or like short courses on different topics and would welcome other folks that would like to offer training to be able to do that through inner year at our space, because it is a great space to be able to entertain and provide um, throughout yeah. as well. In an ideal world, what are the kinds of things that, you know, if life were to go back to completely normal right now, mm-hmm. what are the kinds of things you would want to do first in that kind of a space? Uh, I think, you know, offering more, more uh, little workshops and classes. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do and did some of is every month with those different topics that we look at um, to have a, what we call a table talk, like sell like dinner tickets and invite an expert in to be able to come in and talk about somebody in a, a particular field. So, um, you know, maybe we had Jeff Keelan come and talk to us at one point around economic justice. And so he was working for Appalachian Community Federal Credit Union at the time. And, and so to be able to have a meal and sit down and talk and invite people from the community. And, um, but the cool part is then to give the fellows access to somebody that is in a professional career something that they may be interested in or something that's vital to just how the community functions and works, but then for them to hear the story of that person, how they got to where they are. Cause it's never rarely, is it a straight path? It's always, well, I did this and then did this and then I came around and did this. And so now I'm really fully equipped to do this thing that really fits me really well, which is kind of how my story has worked out, but that's you know, not always the case. And so I think oftentimes as a college age student, we think that there is this very clear trajectory on how our, um, our path is going to go. Um, and I think that in, in some ways, our society and, and church to some extent have perpetuated that myth that you have to find this calling that you have, this one thing that God has called you to do. And you've got to figure that out. And then you have to go and do that thing. But if that doesn't work out, or you can't find that thing, then what does that communicate to you about who you are and about your worth and your value? And, and I think that we've just gotten the conversation around vocation wrong. Um, and we've led people to believe that that's the way it is. And it's more about, it matters much, much less what you do every day to get a paycheck, but it's, it's how you do that thing and the way that, in which you move through the world. Are you loving God and loving others? And there are ways to do that well. And I think that we have, and that's what vocation is. That's our calling. All of us have that same calling. And, and I think that that's really the, the big secret. Um, as college students, we, you know, we're sold that well, I'm going to be a chemical engineer. So I've got to find a job in that field. Um, but it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. What would you tell a college student who just graduated or who is looking at graduating this year and are kind of in that space of, I don't know what to do? Well, what would your advice be to them? You know, I, I think that we are so focused on doing and, and we're afraid of, of space and afraid of uncertainty. And that can create a lot of anxiety uh, around, you know, all these cultural expectations about what we're supposed to be doing and, you know, whether we're, whether we're getting married or not or going to grad school or having this career, um, I think one of the biggest benefits that we offer at inner year is um, sacred space. 
and the time to uh, think about how can I best form myself to be like Christ in order to do something in the world that is meaningful. And what that meaningful thing is might be something completely different than what they thought it was when they graduated college. Yeah. Creating that space is really the, the big uh, room for silence mm-hmm. is really the biggest thing. When I was in college, I, I did not go to Milligan. I went to a school out in the Northeast uh, Christian school. And one of the things that we were required to do was go on a 10 day backpacking trip in the Appalachian mountains up in New York. And as an incoming freshman, you look at that and go, um, why and <laughs> what and no, <laughs> but you do it because that's what you're supposed to do. And a lot of what you are mentioning is are things that we did on that trip. Um, so we had to give up our watches because it didn't matter what time it was. Yeah. It just mattered that we were there with our group. We had to give up our cell phones. They weren't going to work there anyway. Um, but we had to be intentionally there all the time. Um, and we spent two days of that trip on um, what we called solo, where we took our tarp and our sleeping bag and spent two days in prayer and fasting and literally seeing no one else um, until that time was over. And one of the best things that I took away from that trip was the value of silence and the value of being where you are now, um, whether that is a comfortable place or an uncomfortable place. And some of the people that went on that trip with me are still some of my very good friends um, that I didn't know before. Um, And, you know, we've all gone our separate ways and do our separate things. Um, But that is something we can look back on similar to, I think your fellows probably can and say, that's a place where I learned something. That's a place where I learned how to be a better me and a better person. And where maybe I learned for the first time how to really be a Christian. Mm. Um, I, I think that's one of the other things our college students, particularly here in the Christian college atmosphere struggle with is that their faith has to become their own. Um, it is, it is no longer their parents' faith. Um, do you see a lot of conversations like that with your students as well? Kind of wrestling with some of the things that are going on in, in their spiritual lives? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, you know, many of them have, uh, you know, struggle. I mean, that's the a phrase that comes up a lot. Um, I really just wanted to make my faith my own. And I really wanted to give myself this, you know, a set period of time to really uh, explore my own beliefs and explore my own faith and how am I going to be formed uh, by scripture, um, by my community. Um, because, you know, in college, there's very much a, an academic schedule and rigor that takes place that you have to you know, fit in all of these things. And we've got, you know, requirements and stuff like that too, but um, just really focused on trying to carve out some of that space and an expectation that they're doing that on their own as well. Um, and, and so for a lot of people, I know that that is one of the things that they really uh, have appreciated is having that, um, that time and space. So I think that for some of them that, so on Fridays when we do our uh, our journaling time. Uh, I call it big questions. Uh, it comes from uh, this guy, Peter Block, who's kind of a community uh, development expert out of Cincinnati. And big questions are ones that are um, ambiguous, 
they're open-ended and they are anxiety inducing. And so the cool part is that, you know, every Friday we make them come with one of these big open-ended anxiety inducing questions and offer that to the group. And then they get to pick whichever one they want to write about for about a half hour. Um, and the, the cool part is like, we can write about the exact same question, but it's going to hit us in a completely different way. Um, so they're, they're very, usually very short um, and just extremely open-ended. And so what would it look like if you did it? Yeah. You know, just very random, but you know, whatever, what are you wrestling with right now? And so just to get them to, to be in the habit of, of doing the journaling and reflection, that kind of stuff, um, being able to um, have the opportunity to do that and have it part of a regular schedule where they're doing that, uh, hopefully it kind of builds in some of that habit for them. Yeah. What do you hope that people in the community, the, the Johnson City greater community, what do you hope they see and respond to as a result of Inner Year House? Well, I think that, um, you know, if we had a, you know, a large group of fellows, you know, six, eight fellows, they're kind of embedded in all of these different community organizations, right? And they're serving vital roles in those organizations, helping each of them sort of accomplish their purpose at a much reduced rate than would be for them to hire them outright. So hopefully it increases their capacity to be able to do their work for the community. Um, you know, they're getting a, you know, highly qualified young adult that is engaged and is going to work hard for them. Um, but then I think the, those informal times back at the house, when they come back and they're hanging out in the evening, talking about their day, what they do, that they're able to see maybe some gaps or cracks in services or places where organizations might be able to collaborate where they haven't in the past because they've got this, I can, I can bet a journalist's working in all these different uh, fields. They come back and talk about it at night. Like, hey, well, you're doing this and I'm doing this. And I wonder if we can maybe work together to kind of serve this need. Or maybe there's something, there's a, a whole area here that we've not even ad addressing in our community. Um, and then to be able to give them the freedom to come up with some ideas to address that, you know, whether that's uh, an event or, you know, bringing in a speaker to address that topic or to host a service day to meet a particular need. Um, we, every year I, I offer it up to them and say, this, you have, use this as your platform, mm -hmm. uh, an opportunity to, to do something fun, special, cool, unique, uh, that is meaningful, that, that can meet a need or, or serve something that you're passionate about. So I hope to sort of share our, our platform and what reach that we do have uh, in the community with an opportunity for them to to do something that they can look back on and say, yeah, we did that thing. That's awesome. Um, I know you've hosted several service events uh, for the church and the community over the years, um, yep. helping with um, yard work, painting. Um, how best can we serve your ministry um, as partners in JC Serve, but also just as people in the community? How best can we help? Uh, I think, you know, there's always, uh, it's a big house. There's always work to do there. Um, you know, weekly mowing the yard and that kind of stuff this time of year. Uh, there's still always painting, uh, pressure washing. We got to restain the deck or seal the deck. It hasn't been done since we got the house. So we got it all pressure washed, you know, a year ago, but then we didn't have time to actually stain it. And so um, that's a big project. Uh, at some point, we'll have to replace all the windows on that first floor. That won't be cheap. Um, but the house is, is actually in pretty good shape. Um, I, I think that, uh, the way that church could support us really is by 
spreading the word about trying to find people that would want to participate. Um, and if, you know, there are individuals in the church that have a particular field that they think that might be, or a skill set that they think would be helpful to young adults, because we want to, you know, provide some uh, soft skill sets too, just life things that people don't always get anymore. Um, you, know, I, you know, I teach them how to change oil and that kind of stuff. And we talk about that or have someone come in and talk about personal finances or, you know, meal planning on a budget. You know, those are just some unique things that lots of people just have learned wisdom from over the years that um, I maybe sometimes don't know how, I don't ask for help really well. I am very independent and I try to do everything on my own. Uh, it is a fatal flaw. And so maybe this is just a, an open appeal. If you have something that you think young adults might need to know, just ask me if you can teach it and share that skill that you have. So consider that an open invitation for people to just offer their wisdom from years of experience. I have a feeling that there are a lot of people who will be willing to take you up on that simply because they have that experience. Yeah. Um, but there are also some people I think that we might have to convince that they have that experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Um, maybe I, somebody I else can offer them up. There you go. Voluntold is, is definitely yes. the term that I use. That's the word. Um, I get voluntold to do a lot of things. <laughs> um, do you have any idea for the Love JC event coming up in September? What kind of things um, might be available to do at interyear? Um, and so people can start thinking about how that might fit into their schedule. Yeah. Um, there's So we've got this cool picnic table out back we need to rebuild. Um, it's got a metal frame. We need to tear it down and paint it and rebuild it. So that's a possibility. Uh, landscaping is always a thing. Um, I just got uh, a really serious bout of poison ivy uh, from doing lots of work back there. Um, some painting of windows that we didn't get to this last year and uh, probably pressure washing and, and sealing the deck. I mean, three floors of a deck is a lot. It's a, it's a whole lot. So maybe we could get it pressure washed beforehand and then uh, folks can come out and do a lot of staining that day. Who knows? Yeah. And there's, yeah, I mean, always like deep cleaning and stuff like that inside the house too. Sure. Of course, weather dependent is, is I know the that's the big challenge. You never know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Tim, I'm so grateful that you started inner year um, and that it is something that I can offer to my students um, and to people that I know um, in the community from other schools. Um, it, it really does fill a need um, in, in this area in particular. Um, so, so thank you for taking that step to, to start this and to kind of leap into the unknown because I don't know of yeah. anything else like this um, across the country. I, did you base this on anything else or? Well, so you know, when I worked at ASP, one of the cool things about the Lilly uh, endowment is that they really try to bring people together to share learning. And that's really where I was kind of exposed to a lot, actually a lot of other organizations that do this and have been around for decades. Um, and so there's kind of a, a whole group of um, programs that I've been associated with, and they're all dealing with recruiting issues for this year. So it's not something that is unique to us, which is comforting in some way, but still doesn't help us. But um, there's, you know, misery and company there. Um, but I think that 
in the design, there were lots of organizations that were very generous with sort of their organizational structure and all kinds of things to help me get started. And I kind of took pieces from all these other programs, but then kind of added sort of the, the contemplative piece that I think is really important uh, for our time. And so, uh, and what I'm passionate about, and it's not a good fit for everybody. I recognize that too. Um, but that's, that's kind of, it wasn't just plucked it out of the sky. It was just kind of a, a combination of my past experience and exposure to other programs and what I feel like um, our society needs at this point. Yeah. Um, how much longer are you accepting applications for next year? And when does uh, the year after that cycle open if somebody listens to this later? Well, so our program starts uh, at the end of August. So the last week in August is when this next group will start. And uh, I'll take applications up until then. <laughs> so uh, sometimes it, it's really part of the problem is that uh, the age group is, is indecisive and, is, and they're, they're not really sure. And it's a big commitment. And so they don't know what they want to do sometimes. And so sometimes it's a last minute decision. Um, and so it just requires a lot of flexibility on our part to make that work. And so we have kind of partners that are waiting in the wings that have said, hey, we'll partner with you if you have a fellow that fits. Yeah. So, you know, talk to a family promise and with ASP, even with Grandview and One Acre Cafe, you know, all of our previous partners are willing to, to place people if I have um, individuals that are, that are going to participate. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think our website says June 30th was the last day, but I, I mean, I'm flexible. That's for sure. And that's the beauty of being, you know, an early, young, small organization. You can be really flexible and yeah. work with relationships. But um, I think we're actually going to be moving to a nine-month program. And so it'll be more of a starting in, you know, mid-August, early mid-August and run through May. And then we're going to have a summer fellows program. So that's one thing to look out for is that uh, probably September-ish we'll be able to uh, start advertising for that. And so it'll be an eight to nine week summer intensive and it will be for like college students, like post sophomore year that want to do just a, a summer service. And it'll be kind of a shortened version of some of the things that we do throughout the year. So they'll get a taste of what it's like, see if that's something they may want to participate in for the full time, for a full school year. Uh, but I think we recognize that the fellows are just so set on that school calendar. And when May comes around, it's hard to go two more months. Yeah. Um, it's just really difficult. And so I, I think rather than fight that, we might just take advantage of that and bring in some younger college age students. So that's awesome. Um, I will put the link to inner years website in this podcast. So if you are interested at all in supporting um, inner year fellowship or in applying for a fellows position, the link will be right there for you. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and to tell me about your ministry. Um, and I look forward to seeing what God is going to do with you and with your ministry here in the future. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Join us next time as we talk with more of our uh, partners here in the area, and we'll see you then.